Hey, everybody. Words are very, very important, right? Choose the wrong word and it can damage relationships or kill a business deal. Today, we are going to be talking about nonverbal communication, the things which we do which can make or break our happiness, all without saying a word. Up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The East Coast is braced for Hurricane Sandy with mandatory evacuation orders in place for many of those in the path of the storm. Already over 100,000 people are without power and anyone left in the evacuation areas is likely stuck as the major roadways have mostly been closed. Public transportation in some areas of the major cities like New York and around New Jersey is not running and will not be back online for some time. Among the things put on hold because of the massive storm is the Wall Street Stock Exchange. Many of the nation's biggest banking headquarters are in the evacuation areas, and the stock exchange is going to remain closed through tomorrow. The presidential campaign is also being scaled back due to Hurricane Sandy. Both President Barack Obama and Republican candidate Mitt Romney have canceled numerous campaign stops and are focusing their concerns on the plight of those in the storm's path rather than their political disagreements. President Obama has returned to Washington to monitor the storm and help provide leadership and aid in the aftermath. Neither candidate has expressed any concern about the impact the storm could have on the results of the coming election. One of the first U.S. rescue efforts connected with the hurricane, some have dubbed Frankenstorm, took place early this morning about 90 miles off the North Carolina coast. The replica three-mast ship HMS Bounty was taking on water in the path of the storm, and the crew of 16 was forced to abandon ship in 40-mile-an-hour winds and 18-foot seas. The owner of the vessel contacted the Coast Guard after losing communication Sunday night. Coast Guard air and sea efforts located most of the crew via radio beacons in two life rafts. However, two are still missing. The ship has reportedly sunk since the rescue. The Commerce Department is reporting that consumer spending rose by 0.8 of a percent last month, which is the largest increase since February. Consumers account for almost three-quarters of U.S. economic activity, and the rise is a nice setup as we head into the final financial quarter of the year and the holiday season. While the spending increase is good news for the overall economy, the Commerce Department report also shows a slightly troubling drop in U.S. families' savings. The savings rate has dropped to its lowest point in almost a year, which with largely stagnant incomes leave many families with no cushion to deal with pending tax hikes scheduled scheduled for the beginning of next year. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. We are your storm watch coach. Not really. And your guide on the side. We do what we can on our program to help you through these times. When it comes to hurricanes, it's not our specialty. But uh, the relationships and uh, maybe the good feelings you might need as you're riding out the storm, maybe we can help you there. Welcome to the program, everybody. Those of you on the East Coast suffering through this monster storm, we want you to know our prayers are with you. And really, if you want real advice or real knowledge about uh, the storm, what's happening, what you should be doing, we suggest you change channels right now. 
And we're not kidding about that. I mean, seriously. seriously, as a disclaimer, especially if you're listening to this show at 7 o'clock Eastern, it's live at 5 Eastern right now. If you're listening at 7 o'clock Eastern, it's a repeat. So a lot of what we're talking about is not giving you by any means comprehensive coverage of the hurricane. We're just talking a little bit about it because a lot of us are looking at you in the Northeast and going, wow, this really is this, this is, is a big, tough. big deal after all. So if, if you're like us and you're looking from the outside, we're glad that you're joining us. But uh, if, if you really are in the hurricane's path, please, please go to another channel and get real information. Get safe. Worry about your relationships and your friendships and your life. Well, actually, worry about your life first, but worry about everything else after. Let's get everyone safe. Let's get everyone healthy. Uh, basically, just the latest news, um, storms about to take land, I guess, and uh, start creating even more havoc than it was before. Um, now, have any of you all been through a major disaster, a storm, a, a major anything? I've been through tornadoes. Really? In Iowa? In Iowa, yeah. little Iowa tornado action? Yeah. Big Iowa tornado action. Scary. Wow. Yeah, I, was, I remember we one one uh, in particular tornado. We were in our basement, and I like felt our house shake, and we could oh, hear it go by. Heavens, that's crazy. And then the next day, we went into downtown Iowa City, and downtown Iowa City, it's huge, you know. Well, but, yeah. And, um, but like <laughs> all the <laughs> all the it's a college town, and all like the college kids' houses were like ripped in half, and like. There was one that looked like a dollhouse where you could like look inside and see all the rooms. Oh and my it word! Was, it was a really the the her tornado went straight down the middle of the street and just tore up houses. It was That's it was insane. pretty bad. That is crazy. BT, now you've <laughs> been to Houston. You've lived in Houston. You've probably suffered through a few of these. Yeah, there's like four hurricanes slash tropical storms a year, at least that are worth noting yeah. noticing. Um, <laughs> lots of tornadoes in Texas. I think that's just. Disclaimer, big state, lots of surface area. That yeah. might be most of the reason why. Um, but I've I've been through a lot of uh, hurricanes, and it's just odd to yeah. see how people are freaking out because it's Category 1, and those are, like, not bad. Yeah, until they go through New York, I guess. I guess. I don't, Philadelphia, I mean, these big, huge cities, tons of people. I was I was talking to Sam earlier, and he said, well, keep in mind, they haven't really dealt with these. So they're not their infrastructure. Oh yeah, isn't designed. Well, for and they're it. all they're islands, right? And they're yeah. so they're probably a little water, a little storm surge floods a, the uh, subway. Whole different game. How do you move twenty million? They people? don't have a subway in Houston, I don't think. No. Okay. No. Well, there, there's a start. Right. Okay. There's do a they have basements in Houston. No. Okay. Your house so there's, falls there's in. A, there's a second one. There's yeah. another one, and it's so it's a big. Oh, this is just to me. This is where. This is where we get to know each other. Right? This, you know is, what I mean? this is where we really find out how we're doing as a species. Yeah. In fact, somebody on one of the news stations, uh, one of the you know pundits that are on there talking said, "This is uh, what you're going to do is eventually, once the storm kind of passes through, your first responders will then come and help you. And a politician clarified, no, 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 no. Who's going to have to help you will be your neighbors. Yeah. Uh, you're probably not going to get early responders that'll get to you for a while. And so this is where we kind of test the neighbors. Yeah. Hey, hi, I'm Matt. We've been next to each other 20 years. First time we've met, maybe. All of a sudden, it's going to become a big deal. If you don't have much of a relationship with your neighbors, you're it's, probably about to have one. Yeah. A much better one. And, you know, the the cool thing, I guess, for everybody on the East Coast is, no, the rest of the country's thinking about you. We're pulling for you. We're praying. Um, it's... Uh, who knows? But big, big deal. Now, 
some of the things about this that are going to be interesting, you know, the the whole the whole uh, um, tomorrow is going to be a whole new day. Stock market shut down right today. I think they say tomorrow it should be shut down as well. Is that right? And that may be. I haven't heard that yet. So that's a big deal. I'm just thinking about how this knocks people out of routines because oh. I I've been trying hard to think if I've been through a disaster. And the fact I can't think of one. Yeah, we're kind of incubated haven't. from those here. They but did have the, a tornado once that went right through the middle of downtown Salt Lake City. Yeah, and I was, City, out, of, was out, of, out of the state. At the three time. people died, but that's. That's, we broke all the rules because you're not supposed to have. But them you in the think mountains. about when you, when you go to go to work and you're you're in your company and maybe even just a fire alarm goes off, and how that breaks your routine enough that you're out standing in the parking lot waiting for them to say you can go back in and go back to work, and you get talking to coworkers you normally don't talk to. On a grand scale today, there are millions of people whose routine is broken. Yeah, and there may be uh, in a town that they don't normally visit with relatives who they don't normally see yeah. talking to their neighbors it's it's it, and so if there is any tiny silver lining out of all the mess that's going on today that that is kind of neat that this is an experience that I think, you know, people are going to remember just yeah. a minimum from the human connections. Oh yeah, this is one we're going to talk about and I, I assume especially on the east coast. You know what I mean? We're kind of we're just incubated from it. We're away from it. Well, also, I think what's interesting about the hurricane is that it's expected to affect the election. You know, that's a big deal. That's I mean, crazy. Oh, I mean, think of two billion dollars has been spent by two candidates, and then Mother Nature just is going to weigh in now. Yeah, and who like, knows what she's going to do? It's like okay, I'm making the decision. We're, now. we're not Amazing. quite sure no, who, yeah. who she's voting for. Yes, <laughs> we'll have to see, no. won't we? But yeah, it's um, aside from just seeing the performance of the current president, whether he handles yeah. it well or not, and that how that will affect the turnout. Well, Hurricane Katrina ended up being yeah. a huge political. Can you, you know, imagine oh, yeah. if Hurricane Katrina had struck in 2004 instead of 2005? Oh. Because it was, oh. I think Hurricane yeah. Katrina seemed like it was the end of August or September of 05, and, and because that ended yeah. so poorly. I think that would have absolutely affected the election. Well, and remember, so much of it was about the early response. So mm-hmm. think of that. I mean, and it's it's a weird position because it seems like the president he's in the you know he's the decision maker. He's the one that's in this position. And then what can Mitt Romney really do, except extend his prayers? I mean, what do you do? You I don't can't, know. Load, you load up inject. your bus with beef jerky and send yeah. it out east. I don't I mean, know. It's a really. This is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, well, also what I think could be interesting is to see if um, it affects voter turnout. Because depending on how long it lasts, oh, you know, yeah. sometimes these things go on for days and days. Well, flooding, it might yeah. pass it. And also, like, if you're at home and you're just like, okay, right now my house is completely in shambles. I need to get uh-huh. my family to do this. You're not quite concerned about if you're going to vote. Right. Well, imagine so. the uh, contingency, too, that already, I, I'm sure in New Jersey and Connecticut and a lot of these states, there are election people who are, oh. are watching glued to the TV going, okay, well, uh, that polling location's not going to be open. That one's to, you know, where, where do we it's move true. it to? Where well, do, you uh, know. from Virginia to Delaware, right? So this is, this is a big deal. Yeah, and that's actually uh, – you, you mentioned, Bryce, they were talking about it being what people in the Gulf would consider a lower category storm. But the truth is uh, I know Connecticut, they, they were saying – let me find the uh, exact quote here – uh, this is the most catastrophic event that we have faced and uh, been able to plan for in any of our lifetimes, and we'll continue huh. to do whatever we can in our power to make sure we're ready. The once-in-a-lifetime storm. Yeah, and uh, I know 
the last time there was a storm quite this big was in 1938. They had. Uh, you remember that, Matt? The Nor'eastern. Yeah. Okay. That was a great year for me. Okay, by just the checking. Way. I think that's right. Yeah, I was 16. But I remember my, my grandmother, so who grew up in Boston. Uh, so she would have been about nine years old or, or so, uh, talking about, oh, yeah, the big hurricane of 38. Really? And it sounded like old timey history until <laughs> I'm on, watching uh, the Weather Channel now or something it's... today, and you go, oh, I wonder if that's what it was like in 1938. Wow. You know, what do you say? It's uh, potential 765,000 people, I guess, currently without power. Not potentially. And that well, and that's as of right now. Right, right now, now, of us doing the show live at 5 Eastern. Well, Millions. Um, ten, five, I think they said 5 to 10 million people are expected to be without power. Well, like the scary tomorrow. thing is that my roommate's actually from Massachusetts. And so last night on her iPod, like middle of the night, uh, she gets this little update. On her iPod, it wakes her up, and she goes, oh, no. And so I was up finishing a project, and she's like, can I use your computer? Like, I need to check the path of the storm because it's like, that'd be scary, especially, you know, if you're a college student or, I don't know, if you're on a business trip away from your family, another part, and you're kind of looking at this like, like my family is back there. I can't go back and help them because all all these flights canceled, like 9,000 flights. Like, that would be really scary. Yeah, so what about all the people out there? You know, right now, knowing the storm's coming, thinking about their family, knowing you probably won't get an update for a while, a while till tomorrow, depending on your phone service. <laughs> As I look at Bryce, He's got mine's. It. I don't have AT and I'm good. You're good. I'm good. <laughs> like you ma- imagine you some, somebody AT&T on business, though somebody like me who's grew out out west where it's dry. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and. and Never having experienced a no. hurricane and then being caught. And, and I know there's got to be plenty of people out of L.A. and Seattle and Phoenix oh, yeah. and Where Denver. Do you go? And Stuck in New York somewhere. Going, holy smokes, what's this all about? The flights <laughs> are canceled. The subways are shut oh, down. Oh, that is horrible. Everybody. <laughs> I've been there. I've been uh, – so on 9-11, I was stranded in – Los Angeles for about four days, but then I, there was a huge storm, the biggest storm. And I, you know, we live in Salt Lake where we see big snow. Biggest storm I've ever seen overnight was four feet, I believe it was, three and a half to four feet in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was there teaching a workshop. It snows four feet overnight. We wake up the next day, boom, snowed in. <laughs> I was stuck in Flagstaff. That and would be for tripping. two days, uh, I couldn't even like get to pizza places. <laughs> there was like no all the roads snowed no in. Food. Matt had to live on nothing but regular I food had to and live water out of a for three machine. days. <laughs> I lived no out of a vending machine, and it took about two days. And then these little puddle jumpers started flying in and getting getting people out. But that's that. Imagine having that, but then you have to go to LaGuardia or Kennedy Airport just to get a flight out of there. I mean, that is. Well, so gosh, I don't. You almost feel guys. kind of trapped in in, in, in the sense that because normally you'd wait it out at the airport, but yeah, I don't no. know if I'd want to be hanging out at JFK right now. No way. No. And, and so then, but you don't want to go into Manhattan because they've got yeah. problems. I know earlier today they had a crane dangling, yeah. oh. dangling six, crane. Stories that, that is so scary. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And so all I and it sounds so empty, but all we can say is, well, our, our heart goes out to you. Yeah. Let, Here's know, the big but, lesson from Utah in Salt Lake when we had our semi-tornado go through. All the um, naive Salt Lake folks went right to the windows to watch it. 
So one of the rules in these big storms is just because you're standing by windows, I wouldn't do that. I mean, just because you got a great view, I'd probably move away. Well, we're we're fine because the, the tornado's on the other side of the glass. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't even hear it until the glass starts vibrating and sucks you out. So that's just Matt's little bit of advice. Don't go near the windows. Is that right, Bryce? You've been just, in a hurricane. Just hang out towards the center of your house. Go. Get as many walls around you as you can. I would say, if I, I'm sure you're about to say this, um, bacon. Yes. Cook bacon. Get that emergency bacon cooked because you don't know when you'll be, you know, you run Bryce out of power. Bryce is the only guy I know. You turn the power a... off and that microwave might not work for a few right. days. He has a How else could you possibly cook I mean, bacon? If you have a gas stove, I mean, you know, turn your get gas something off. to light it because the gas well, stays on. That, you'll need that. Gas stays on. but You know, uh, what do we know? We just are worried about you on the East Coast. But you know what? Uh, you got our prayers. You got our hopes. And, uh, you know, that's about all we can give you. We are going to be talking today about communication, not like, you know, that will help you necessarily. You just probably need to do what you got to do to survive this. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take off, get into some nonverbal communication skills, give you some tools. How do you read people? We're going to be bringing on a guest who will teach you how to read people and see if they're lying. Wouldn't that be a great trick? That'll be up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Rocket-launched parachutes are making flights safer for pilots and passengers. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. In the mid-1970s, a young man named Boris Popov was hang gliding when things suddenly took a bad turn. Some 400 feet in the air, his glider broke apart and spun out of control as he plummeted toward a lake. As he fell, Popov realized that if he had only had some kind of parachute, he could have been saved. Luckily, Popov survived the crash. He went on to develop parachute systems that could soften the fall of entire airplanes. Ballistic Recovery Systems, or BRS, first installed the parachutes on hang gliders and ultralight aircraft. NASA helped mature the parachute material and deployment technology through contracts with BRS. Soon, the company had rocket-propelled systems that could support even larger and heavier general aviation aircraft. With more than 30,000 systems sold, some of the world's most popular small aircraft like the Cirrus SR-20 and SR-22, now feature ballistic recovery systems as standard equipment. As of today, more than 250 lives have been saved with this rocket-propelled parachute technology. For Innovation Now, I'm Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Now, uh, despite all the craziness going on on the east coast of the country, we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about communication today, conflict resolution in a way, more body language ideas. We're going to give you some tools, some ideas for how to improve your body language. As I look at Bryce Tobin, I don't know why I'm looking at you. You're trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. Uh. Like, are you ready to talk? Of course. Um, body language. Now, check it out. Now, I know you know this because you're big into psychology. Yes. And you've seen therapists for dozens of years. Dozens. Um, interpersonal communication, nonverbals, I mean. On yeah. A nonverbal. What percentage would you say of our communication is uh, nonverbal? As far as how much the other person is picking up, I would say 75. I'd say three-fourths of what you're saying isn't is with your body is is just how you move is your how body. is what you're doing like it bing i'm gonna give it a bing oh Thank there it you. is and the actual we don't know the number we could but the number is somewhere no. between 60 and 90 there's there's a lot of people are hard to read pseudoscience trying to get it out there Pseudo. but i think the point is that it's not your words you know what it's exactly and you know why it's such a big deal have you ever heard of mario pei p-e-i no tell well, me about him check him out uh he estimates that humans produce up to seven hundred thousand different signs yeah i'd believe it okay and and that's on a good day on a good day uh ray bird estimates the face is capable of over two hundred and fifty thousand expressions Sky can do more like 380. Yep. Because he's got a really very emotive face. Emotive face. Uh, M.H. Kraut. These are all studies and researchers that have been studying interpersonal and nonverbal, or, and nonverbal communication has identified 5,000 distinct hand gestures, 4,000 of which are appropriate oh. for general audience. Well, we got four-fifths four of them are kosher. Kosher. The rest are not good. Now check this out. Uh, according to like this is the ancient study that if you've ever heard somebody say that roughly ninety three percent of communication is nonverbal. If you've ever heard that phrase, um, then it comes from a study by Albert H. Morabian, who in the late sixties and seventies came up with his calculation of how important the nonverbal movements are, signals, gestures, and such. He says overall words make up only seven percent of our communication. Our tone of voice accounts for about 38%, so hmm. tonal qualities. Body language accounts for 55%. But that only is relating to interpersonal communication. And again, so that's just one of many studies. I think Bryce is more on it when he says about 75%. Okay? So, Bryce, you have an opinion about this. You say, do you stress about what you're going to say next? Well, don't. Worry about your vocabulary, Bryce Tobin thinks. The problem may be less about what you say and more about how you say it. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce is Right. Part of being human is thinking that we're awesome at everything that we do. Everyone has themselves convinced that they're good drivers, that they have good taste in people, movies, food, or music, that they have a good sense of humor, or that they're a great communicator. Really, we're all just deluded. Think about it. If you've ever been on the road, you know that there's a lot of terrible drivers. And I'm sure you know some cool people, but don't we all? And don't think you're too special with that indie film you once saw. Lots of other people have seen it. You also probably like the movie Independence Day. It's okay, we all did until we realized it was not a good movie. And here's some food for thought. 
If we all had really discerning palates, why are there fast food chains all over the place? Music is one of my favorites too. Everyone swears that they're a connoisseur, and I mean everyone. In reality, we're just a consumer like anyone else. But for today, I'm going to focus on the ability to communicate. We all think we're great at conveying certain thoughts, and that we're great at not conveying certain other thoughts. Want to know the truth? Your words do very little in terms of getting the message across to whoever you're talking to. Your nonverbal is doing a lot more. Now, just to clarify, when I say nonverbal, I mean anything besides the definitions of the words you're using. Nonverbally, the big ones are your body language and your tone of voice. Your body language gives you away every time. You don't even have to start using your words, and we've pretty much figured out what you're going to say. Are you tapping your feet, crossing your legs? Are you slouching or sitting up straight? What if you're standing up? How's your posture? What's your mouth doing? Are your eyebrows where they need to be? How are you doing maintaining eye contact? What are your hands doing? All of these will say something without you actually saying something. And there's two major downsides to body language. The first is that most of the time, you don't realize you're doing it. So it's really hard to control or stop. The second is that it's really hard to control the interpretation. This is less your fault and more the audience jumping to their assumptions. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to influence this process? So let's talk tone of voice. This can be a little tricky because you're using words, but your tone sends messages on top of the words you're using. Take these for example. No thank you. This is a polite denial. No thank you. That's an obnoxious teenager being a spoiled brat like they always are. No thank you. This one is being complimentary. And then there's no thank you. And this one's being a total creeper. Do you see what I mean? Same three words said four different ways with four very different meanings. Tone of voice is a little easier to notice and control, but keep in mind, it's also the most obvious. And should you drop your guard, you will let everyone know what you're really thinking. And above all else, the circumstances under which you communicate say a lot. For example, let's say you call up your crush at 11 at night. You don't even have to say a word. Before she picks up the phone, she knows you didn't call because you just wanted to chat. Or if you're a middle manager talking to one of the bosses, they know the conversation that you're about to start will really be about something else entirely. Do you see what I mean? Most of the thoughts we convey aren't coming out of our mouths. And sometimes I'm pretty sure the rest of me is trying to send the wrong message. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Good work, BT. I didn't know you knew that much about communication. Neither did I. And then I wrote it. No, I looked up some stuff. You looked up some stuff. You're a smart cat. Now, I know you use this in your dating all the time. All the time. Do you use the line that's creepy or the line that's kind of sarcastic or the line that's just whatever? You know... I kind of, I side with creepy yeah. because that's, that's to figure out if she's got a sense of humor or if she can put up with yeah. uh, certain levels of ridiculopathy. And that's why he's single. And I'm and still single. once again, another obvious reason why BT's single. You're painting a picture for me, Matt. <laughs> so uh, it's funny because if they can't handle creepy and the cops get called, you know you've gone a little too far. It's, yeah. she got to back little... it down and get back to just or run away. Just run away. And you, you, can, you can use your eyes Cut your, and your forehead, right? Yeah. Okay, so last night, uh, a little bored, I pulled up a little Frank Caliendo. Fun guy. Fun guy. Is he the guy who used to do all the uh, impersonations yes. of President Bush and John Madden? Honestly. And so, he, so think of that. When you think of an impersonation, you're thinking it's all tonal, right? It's just tonal quality and all this stuff. But when you watch him, it's absolutely hilarious because he gets into all their expressions. Yeah. And then he talked about President Bush has a bunch of different things. Like he always looks like he's looking in the sun. So he's squinting. And he's always furrowing his forehead. And how he surprises himself by certain answers. But he actually got into all of these ideas of um, how you actually – how his facial expression helps him understand how to better interpret, how to better have fun. 
So if you want to impersonate somebody, just start with their facial expression. Copy their mannerisms. Copy their mannerisms. For example, with Sky here. Matt, do an impersonation of me. <laughs> <laughs> Not just facial expressions. Somebody do play radio. by play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just imitating a mannequin with his mouth gaping open. I didn't gape my mouth open. But you, you yawn usually. Yeah. So if I wanted to impersonate you, really I would just go with the nonverbals <laughs> of you yawning. Okay. Um, you showing that boyish smile, that charm thing that you do mm-hmm. to lure the ladies. Uh, I notice you're not wearing a T-shirt because, by the way, our clothing and our apparel also communicate. What am I wearing? What is this? You're not wearing the shirt that talks about you want to kiss, oh, which is eyes weird. Oh, size. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, um, so it's interesting. Everything communicates. Hmm. What if I told you that I'm bringing on an expert that can tell me if you're lying? I'd say prove it. Or I'd ask you if you're lying. Mm. That was a good retort. I'd just look real, just stand around him and look really guilty. <laughs> well, and then he'd know. Well, I am. And we're going to actually do a little questionnaire to see where my pen went. <laughs> okay. I want to know that. I want to know why I lose a marker every time I come here. <clears throat> I probably threw it at Sky. Sky's been collecting them. We're it's gonna, the intern. It's the intern. Our <laughs> intern's even talking now. This is good stuff. We're going to be bringing on, though, Jeremy Stevenson. He served two terms, two tours in Iraq with the U.S. military. We can't say a lot about what he does. He just specializes in military intelligence. He's also a high school psychology teacher, and the kids love him. He's won tons of awards as best teacher on earth. And um, we're going to be bringing him on. Father, husband of, uh, father of four kids, bringing on Jeremy Stevenson to help us learn a little bit more about nonverbal communication right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. BYU Radio is your home for Cougar sports. And after each weekend's action, don't miss True Blue. Each week, join hosts Dave McCann and the entire True Blue team as they bring you highlights, analysis, and interviews from all the major BYU sports. New episodes air every Monday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with repeats Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Here on the home of Cougar sports, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. On the final day of a planned ceasefire in the Syrian conflict that fell apart just hours after it began, both the regime and rebel forces re-escalated the fight against one another. Two powerful car bombs were set off, one by the opposition force killing 10, including women and children, in an Assad-friendly neighborhood and the other exploding in a rebel camp. The worst damage of the weekend came today with one of the largest regime airstrikes to date. The attack leveled more than 100 buildings in a rebel stronghold and knocked out power and telephone lines and critical water supplies. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights reports that over 500 people were killed over the weekend, which was intended to be a truce, wiping out almost all hope of reducing the violence in the 19-month-old conflict. The center of Hurricane Sandy is now less than 50 miles off landfall in Cape May, New Jersey, and the storm is now sped up to a punishing 90 miles per hour, sustained winds with 115 mile an hour gusts. 
Ocean City residents who did not evacuate are now stuck as all transport on and off the island is shut down because access points are currently underwater. A construction crane has partially collapsed off the roof of a New York City building, and over 250 counties have canceled public school for today and tomorrow as well, likely. President Obama has declared a state of emergency in numerous states in the storm's path, and airlines have canceled over 12,000 flights in preparation of the massive storm, as the East Coast braces for an impact forecasters say is going to be one of the biggest in history. Adding to the power outage woes caused by Sandy, two New Jersey nuclear plants are expected to go offline as the storm pushes inland. The Category 1 hurricane will bring massive swells and raise water levels to dangerously high points, forcing the shutdown. The two plants are part of a larger power grid that services over 60 million people, though the high winds are expected to slow before any other important plants in the region are hit. All U.S. reactors have procedures to shut down when with hurricane-force winds reach their facilities or if floodwaters breach certain levels. Whoever claims victory in the coming presidential election may also be given the chance to reshape how the U.S. looks at law enforcement because both the FBI director and the attorney general are set to leave their positions within a short time of each other next year. The Romney campaign advisors have already produced a list of names for the candidate to consider if he should win the election, and most played a part serving during the Bush years. The Obama administration, of course, has a list of their own to consider, but Attorney General Eric Holder may stay on a little longer than currently planned if the president wins a second term. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Again, our prayers are with those on the East Coast battling through this uh, this hurricane. Our, really, we are worried about you. And, um, again, maybe we're talking about communication, nonverbal communication. You probably just need to worry more about survival. So feel free. Please change the channel and go get the news you need, the, the live information about the hurricane. Or if you do want to learn about nonverbal cues so you can read those people around you better, then you might want to listen up. Um, we are bringing on our expert, Jeremy Stevenson. We can't give, him too, give you too much information about him, but he's served in the U.S. military. He's had two tours in Iraq. He specializes in military intelligence. And this is what I think is – I think – and he's a school teacher. Right? Of, yes. Of, of high school kids. Yes. Jeremy, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Father of four. Yes. Husband. Uh, high school teacher with military intelligence. That seems like the perfect combination. It's enjoyable. They complement one another. I think every teacher needs to have military intelligence experience. <laughs> Are you with it, me? It helps. There's a lot of cheating these days. I've, I've been and able you to read it. Like, you just get them, don't you? <laughs> A few now and then. And then you go up and you put some move on him and, like, paralyze him. Uh, No comment. Okay. (laughs) We know he's got a lot of training. Uh, So, Jeremy, this is a big deal because communication is one thing, right? Uh, Nonverbal communication, I think we're kind of wired for that, right? If you think about it, we all communicate about – we all have the same, you know, image of uh, pain on our face. Mm -hmm. We all demonstrate the same – Signs of pleasure on our face. I mean, we're kind of supposed to get the nonverbal cues, right? Yes. 
Now, you in the military learned to use these signs as a way to gather data and get the truth. Yes. Tell me about that. Because um, I, I know there's listeners out there who are dying to know if their kids are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. Well, you have two circumstances that we deal with. One is just interrogation of prisoners of war, folks that have been uh, collected to site where they're suspected as being good or bad, and they have to determine who to let go and who to keep. Um, the other scenario that's a little more difficult is you'll have individuals. One of our main jobs was what we call force protection, where it's either helping protect the Iraqi government and the Iraqi security forces or else our own forces. And so people would come in and share information with us. And uh, whether they wanted a building built or hoping that they were going to be reimbursed I'll for their information yeah. or they wanted to get their neighbor thrown in prison so they could you know, mm-hmm. take over their property. Um, so the real challenge was trying to tell the difference between those who were being honest and those who were just trying to meet their own needs and deceive you. Yeah. And I guess you just don't want to throw a lie detector test on them. Well, the, the challenge with that, and we use those in country, the only ones we could use, they have to be trained like at the FBI level. So mm-hmm. they were very few and far between and getting them arranged was uh, very difficult. And so, you know, of the 50 to 100 people we might work with in a year, we might get authorization to... Uh, do a lie detector test on one or two. And even with that, lie detector tests are based off of people's learned sense of guilt that's associated oh, with being yeah. dishonest. So in a country like Iraq where lying survival, right. a lot of them don't manifest well, in the, the middle same. of a war. Yeah, well, yeah. and even prior to that with Saddam and the conditions in which the world was there, a lot of folks, you could do a lie detector test and they didn't respond in the same yeah. way. The fight or flight didn't kick yeah. on for the sa- in the I same way that it does for us. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And they don't even know that. I mean, that's more cultural to that scenario, that situation. Yes. But kind of, have you noticed, um, so you would actually just ask questions, then be looking for certain signs. Yes. There, there, um, I guess you'd break it down into three simple categories. We talked about the verbal stuff. One of the m- most powerful tools in the military is Everything you can gather on that person in the situation beforehand. So is what they're saying make sense? So that's oh, so step you just one. Kind of, at, you just gather data and then compare what their answers are to that data. The we know all approach yeah. is probably one of the most effective. Where you've collected as much as possible, and they say things, and you can say no, that's not true, and they're like, oh wow, this guy knows. They know. So there's that, and then there's the, the traditional body language of mm-hmm. reading that, and then finally, you know, you'll hear about micro expressions as well as oh you you know, okay, because I'm learning how to, to read those. Good. And I mean, it's not like you're going to teach everything that yeah. you'll ever know, and we haven't experienced it, but it might be fun if we could just catch a liar. It is enjoyable. Okay, now times. here's the deal, Jeremy. Somebody in this room, one, two, three, four. Where did Bryce go, the little thief? Oh, is he over there? Five, there he is. Okay, sorry for calling you a thief when you weren't in the room, but you were in the room and I didn't know it. Um, somebody here stole my pen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who it was. I really don't. I just know whoever it was was rude. Yeah. And they need to be dealt with. And I don't mind if you deal with them in a very harsh way. Use all your skills. The real challenge with that is um, I'd say the main training I received was during the 2002 Olympics. We brought a lady in that works for both the federal and state government, and she interviews people that are applying for high-profile jobs Uh as well as people that have been suspected of committing crimes. But the big challenge is you have to sit down with each one of these and find out what their normal baseline is. Okay. So What if they don't have anything normal in their baseline? Yeah, that's the challenge because if you don't know what their normal – you guys talked about tone and pitch and things like that or their body language. There's folks that are just naturally nervous and twitchy. 
So uh, That's Sky right there. <laughs> if they're always putting that off, it, it's looking for a change in behavior pattern. So if they're always locked up, yeah. like crossed arms uh-huh. and everything, and then they start to change, that's, that's so you, a key. So you really have to read them over a little while. Exactly. And then you've got to get in and interview them. Yes. Which we don't have time to do. Exactly. So, so I'm dodging that one Why don't you. we just shock them? <laughs> Let's just start shocking them until well, they talk. You know, and that's the I've thing. I've seen that on Bond. Well, they talk a lot about that, and there's been a lot of controversy is when it comes to, um, you know, the military likes to use the term enhanced forms of interrogation, yeah. other people call torture, is there's that fine line between them telling the truth and then just saying anything to get the torture to stop. Yeah, so you don't know what. So it's a real challenge, and they found... Uh, there was a book that was written a little while ago called How to Break a Terrorist that was mm-hmm. written by a, uh, an Air Force interrogator that worked with the Special Forces in Afghanistan. And his what he wanted to get across was actually building a relationship of trust and uh, using some of those basic human needs and desires of their family and thing like, things like that are much more effective in getting the truth than, a, say, yeah. um, torture or, or deprivation. Well, and it's it's relate. I mean, it seems like the longer you were in that area, the more of these people you knew, the more you studied them. I guess, especially kind of some of the the leaders of the tribes or whatever they called them, or tribal leaders or yes. whatever they called them over there. That would be that's seriously to your advantage. When we we're going to eventually take a break. But when we come back from, um, from that break, we're going to spend a lot of time about how all of this plays into relationships. Okay. Your most personal ones, your marriage, and that's going to be more fun. But. Um, just okay. Just look around the room, honestly. Uh, you don't have enough data on these people, but I'll just tell you they're scoundrels. <laughs> See, and you would know better. Oh, I know. You would know I their basic pattern of behavior. It. Well, we've got the new guy, and I don't know. He just looks guilty always. No, he doesn't. He's new. Um, it's got to be Sky, but Sky I know didn't move because he he just kind of always s- blame me, Matt. Well, it's, I'm thinking it's got to be you, but Why? it's not. Well, I mean, look at him. And then there's always the chance that you just misplaced it, but don't want to accept that. Mm-hmm. Most likely, yeah. Yeah. that's oh, Most there it is, right happen. there. Oh my gosh, it's right <laughs> on my computer. No, because I know it's gone, and it was my favorite pen. Not really. Um, then there's uh, where do you go, Rob? And I can't see Rob, but Rob is kind of in charge of things. And initially, I don't have time to steal pens. I've got a show to run here. Okay, watch him. Well, I know you probably have a lot of Downton Abbey fans out there. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's the incident where he steals, well, hides the dog and then brings the dog back. So, you know, if it's somebody who's trying to move up, they hide it and then find it for you later to make bonus points with you. That, Rob. So that's whoever's Rob. coming up on promotions. To go but down, man. <laughs> interns, possibly, well, that would like to get a full-time job. Yeah, the intern motives. might want some money. Uh, Rob, th- Rob's already as down as you can get. Okay. And, yeah, this is sadly his – this is it. How, huh, Rob? I could, I could – I'm actually finally at a point in my life I could afford to go buy my own pen. Interesting. And Rob, by the way, doesn't use pens. That's He's true. a pencil guy. He's a pencil Pencils guy. all the way. So I'm back to, I'm back to Sky. <laughs> but I know Sky didn't move. But he's got really long arms and they're fast yeah. and twitchy. Who's next in line to replace uh, you? Um, none of them, I don't think. <laughs> they all want a real life. <laughs> They're hoping to graduate and never come back here again. Understood. Which I think is rude, too. Now, Madison is the second newest, and she's your friend. So you know a lot about Madison. Madison actually has a history of being a jewel thief. A jewel thief. When she was a five-year-old child, she stole a jewel. It was a rock. It was a rock from, <laughs> like, somewhere in Wyoming. And then she confessed it on the show. 
So she has a, his, a felonious history. <laughs> what do you the, think about that? The fact that she's willing to be honest about it now, maybe she's you know trying to start a new. Um, I don't know. We or, could get into her dating. Or she's trying to gain. She's <laughs> manipulating by sharing some information, making it look like she's very open and trustworthy, so uh, that she, you're less likely to. She's suspect smart her. like that. Yes, she did take my class. So, oh, so you've taught her advanced techniques well, to get in. the kids interested in this. You got to explain that either it'll help them detect lie to you know people yeah. lying or help them lie better. And so <laughs> some some took those. Well, nobody and, told me that, Jeremy. So we're teaching people to lie better. Hmm. Hey, it's they're adolescents. You got to get right. their interest. You got to get them some way. And then there's Bryce. Now Bryce, uh, Bryce does this thing called the rant. He rants. Bryce has a lot of pent up emotion. So you're afraid he might have lashed out. Uh, right before my pen went missing, he was commenting about how many pens had been aggregated in our little pen thing. Here. And let's not forget, I'm I'm extremely passive aggressive. <laughs> Great point. It's good. He's got. He's, he's passive aggressive, and he actually disappeared from the room the minute we started this experiment. That, hmm. that and he just got a haircut. Does it? Does a story of where he was, why he was gone, match up? Let's ask him. Where were hey, you, Bryce? Where were you? Well, I was just in the corner, just enjoying. Oh, you didn't a, leave? A good sit in the corner of the room. Which corner? Uh, just this one, right over here. But didn't you leave? No. You move like the wind. He could okay. have been avoiding eye contact, you know, hiding so that when it first came up, he didn't have that initial Jeremy, look of you're shock. you're good, dude. So, totally. I think that's it. Okay. I'm going to go with it. Huh. Do I go with who's the guy whose idea it was? Or do I go with the guy with the twitchy long arms that never moves? It's not Sky. This guy's so disinterested. Here's the real challenge to deception detection is the lady that taught us to it, again, she dealt with prosecuting and also with if you're hiring somebody, you can simply go to the person that's hiring them and say, hey, during this interview, they seemed rather deceptive. I wouldn't hire them. But when it comes to the law, you either have to have physical evidence or these interrogation or deceptive and interview techniques are designed to get them to break. And if they don't break, you know, you can have a suspicion but until they mm. confess or you can find the evidence it doesn't do you a lot of good gosh and we can't shock them <laughs> uh what you do off air that's up to you <laughs> robbie is it against the policies of byu communications yes. to shock people <laughs> no shocking I, I think that's in the honor code somewhere ah they're tying my hands okay i know who it is it is i'm gonna go with the intern was it? It was not. Doggone it! You always go with the one that isn't making money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, guy. <laughs> Way to go. You finally pull out a sound effect. Did you hear that? We haven't had a sound that effect in years. You had one earlier on. in the show today. Well, I know, but I had to call for it. <laughs> that was an uncalled for sound effect. So it wasn't? Are you sure? Okay. Who would you get? The other thing to keep in mind is when you accuse people and you're wrong, then you've damaged the relationship right there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the irony <laughs> is he's brand new. Throwing and out the intern, that's good because there's yeah. no relationship. But with somebody you might have to work with for a couple more years, that could be really detrimental. Okay, then we have to go with the one who's obviously already done the crime in, when she was five. Yes. I'm going to go with Madison. But then she could say that you're was being that right? sexist. I guess so. That was Rob with the... <laughs> With the sound, sound oh, yes. <laughs> Go with the beef. Are you serious? Okay. 
Tell me about this because I <laughs> never thought you'd fair, do that. Rob took it and then handed it to me. So Robert Maurice <laughs> Sanders, are you serious? You're a cry. You're a criminal. You have a criminal mind. I didn't Thank take you. anything. I was happy to rat her out when it came time to do it. Is this pretty normal? Then they all start ratting on each other. Well, you know, we get into the world of sexism where they plan it on the female and then... Always? Yes, exactly. Yes. I play victim here. And then the fall girl. I am the only girl in the room. Did you see how fast Bryce moved away from her after we convicted her? Yes, he distanced himself. He couldn't get away fast enough. It's like, it's not like she has, she doesn't have a cold, Bryce. You do. Well, I mean, if you don't want to get, if you don't want to get hit by the bomb, stay out of ground zero. Okay. Wow. That's profound, I know. That's a great And then guilt by association. See, Jeremy, you're fun. And notice it was the it was the one that brought you in. Yeah. I had nothing to do with it, just so. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're having fun. When we come back, Jeremy Stevenson's gonna walk us through some of the keys, the skills to reading people's nonverbal cues better. He's gonna teach us how to do this in the family so we can catch all those crazy people we love so much and just read people better you're listening to the matt townsend show we'll be back right here on sirius xm 143 byu radio if you're an inventor that likes a challenge nasa is looking for your revolutionary ideas This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. With the space shuttle's final flight complete, some people might believe that NASA is grounded. But the agency is stretching forward with even loftier goals. This means they are looking for revolutionary solutions to some of their toughest engineering problems. Since 2005, NASA's Centennial Challenges program has awarded prize money to both private individuals and groups that successfully create groundbreaking innovations. By making awards based on actual achievements instead of proposals, the challenges spur low-cost and highly creative solutions to engineering obstacles. The program also gives the public an easy way to help NASA create the future of space exploration. The scope and complexity of each competition is varied. With some of the prizes totaling over a million dollars, there's plenty of incentive to get in the game. Upcoming challenges include beaming power to a lunar rover, a sample return robot, a nano-satellite launch system, and a night rover competition. To learn more and to find out how you can get involved, visit nasa.gov forward slash challenges. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Parenting can be a tricky business, and we all know families don't come with a handbook. That's why we can learn from world-traveling family coaches, the Ayers. Join the Ayers on the Road for family, parenting, and general life advice. Monday and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, I now have my pen back in my hand. We have the caper. She's been arrested, as has Robbie. Uh, they'll be serving time. I don't know where. BYU Police Department. Um, and 
doing community service for the campus. We are talking with Jeremy Stevenson, who is a military intelligence expert, has had two tours in Iraq, and even more importantly, probably to learning how to read nonverbals. He's a high school psychology teacher, also teaches geography. He has won a, a bazillion Golden Apple Awards. How many have you really won? I, I can't confirm the number. Oh, intro- dozens of dozens. Well, when I found out the first year that it was based off that I got eight votes and the next teacher got less than that, it, it lost a little bit it of its It lost meaning. a little bit of its, yeah. And especially because Madison voted eight times. Yes. The voting wasn't regulated. There was ballot stuff. Isn't that ballot funny? Stuffing. But you're a teacher. You got four kids and you know how to read people. Um, I don't profess to be an expert, but I I have a little bit of experience, and it's something I'm interested in. So it's fun to teach the students about it. Well, tell so when you go about teaching the kids about how to read people's nonverbals better, where do you begin? Because you don't. I mean, it's complicated. Like you were just showing. Well, it's usually in the unit on biology where they're getting pretty bored, and so we get to um, the senses, and they know about you know the basic five senses, but then we talk about uh, a thing called kinesthesis, and just your your inner core's awareness of your arms and legs and how it's a in uh, an involuntary process. It's part you know, you don't think about you can't it. Think and like that we through. discussed or yeah. you discussed earlier in it that unless you're really focusing, it's hard to control your body language. Yeah. And it's really hard to control those things. So though you may lie verbally, your body is trying to tell the truth or it's afraid that you might get caught. So we get into the fight or flight reflex. Hmm. And so from there we move into uh, lie detecting. And then I give them just a mini lesson of the uh, lie detecting class that I received back in 2002. And then we show a couple clips from shows like Lie to Me and The Mentalist. Okay. Where, and you can see where they're lying. Yes. So um, let's talk about that kinesthesis. Is that what kinesthesis? Kinesthesis. Kinesthesis. Because I'm sitting here talking to you and our board op, Sky, is bored. Yes. Not B-O-A-R-D, B-O-R-E-D. And he's yawning. Yes. That's his body saying, let's end this show. Or, oh, well, that's the other that. thing is the context <laughs> is uh, knowing whether night. he was up all he night. He was up all night so. watching shows. We won't even get into that. But, <laughs> um, so he's tired. And then I fake throw something at him uh-huh. when his mouth is open. And then his body reacts. Yes. Fight or flight. It's not always fake, though. He's yeah. throwing real objects at me. Well, very small objects. Still real objects. That's called softening. You know when you, you know he says it? small objects mm-hmm. and well, I mean it's all or relative. I toss or I did, but I didn't yeah. hit him. I I don't consider like an iPad a large. Object. It, it was open handed. It wasn't closed fist. Those type of things. But he reacts to it. So you're saying, as we're sitting there talking to somebody, if they're lying, their innards. I'm talking technical. Yes, their innards are going to kind of give away. If they're having a reaction to this moment. They, they say again, and this usually doesn't happen with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or kid, but you know, in real extreme circumstances when people are being questioned about crimes and things, I mean, they'll lose control of their bladder. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just sweat, temperature goes up, heart rate, all those things. And so if a person understands the basic effects of fight or flight, then they can see if a person's stressed. Now, they might be stressed for different reasons. Right. Just being brought in to the principal's office can make some people nervous. Oh, yeah. So... Again, back to that idea of the baseline. You need to know, are they a, a naturally nervous person? Or are they pretty con- confident? So. so if you see a change 
from where they are presently when you're talking to them to what they would normally do, then you can bet something's yes. going on. Don't you think most of us just aren't looking for this? I think a lot of us, particularly when it's people we care about, you know, whether it be a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, we don't want to know when they're lying. Yeah. And so, or when, you know, the girl says, well, I'm, I would love to go, but I'm busy that yeah. weekend. And they tell us that every week. Yeah. Um, I've got to wash and, my hair. <laughs> and, and he's like bald. So, and you're like, you don't even have hair. <laughs> If we really want to believe, I mean, if, if we want to be honest, it's a lot easier. But I think we deceive ourselves a lot. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So I'll even self-censor your readings to save myself. Exactly. Isn't that? That's why this is so complicated, huh? And sometimes we may not want to know. And sometimes, honestly, you just don't need to know. Mm-hmm. And that's why if we had a lie detector at our houses, we'd all be in trouble, <laughs> right? Because we'd be hooked up on everything. So do you like my dinner? Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't know. Let's hook you up yeah, and see. Uh... You didn't like my dinner. Well, you just pause there, which yeah. they say is one of the biggest indicators of lying. Is a pause. You know, when, when people ask you a question, Jeez, if you pause. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, stutter, Because you're trying to come up with either a somewhat honest, not completely dishonest answer, uh-huh. but you're trying to be politically correct or, you know, not end that up on the couch. huge. What else? What else should we be looking for? Um. Well... Oh. oh, he's only got, he's just, <laughs> sorry. I thought he had that a suggestion. That is a nonverbal cue that we have three minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people talk about eye contact. So usually when I ask my students for what they know, they'll mention eye contact. If their eyes go exactly. away. Exactly. If they look away and people get into left, right, up, down, yeah. but generally just a break of eye contact. Yeah. Uh, I found with my children, I've made the mistake of telling them what I look for. So Don't na- do that. Now my nine yeah. and six-year-old will look me straight in the face. Glare. I, I did not hit like, her dad. I did not do that. And then I also told them I know when they start smiling right afterwards, and so they'll try to keep the smile. So they're getting good because they've learned what I'm looking for. Your kids are going to be neurotic. Yes, it's they're not going to they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> well, it's funny because when they're in trouble, they're all like, oh, they both of them are like talking. Okay, we got to be ready. Here comes dad. All right, uh, face straight. I won't rat you out if you don't rat me. Isn't out. that so, amazing? But but just those. The, again, those changes where you know how they normally act and they talk about a natural yes or a no or not like when your kid's like, I swear, dad, yeah. there's no, I didn't. Yeah. You know, the so whole, that's not so natural. That's yeah. like more extreme. <laughs> exactly. The, like I, I swear on the Bible or yeah. I, I swear on Susie's life. Well, I was just reading 90, anytime they start invoking religion, 90% of the time that's dishonest. Are you serious? Because yeah, people go to that or when they throw down the race card or the or gender the, card. The girl card that they, or the race card. And if they don't normally do that yeah, and they, they start they throwing yeah. that out. Interesting. That's good to know. Yeah. Other one I noticed with my older brother, anger patterning, you know, when they go, uh, there's a natural response when you're accused of something and there's two extremes. One, when they, um, it was in three, it was Sandusky with his uh-huh. case. When they said, oh, yeah. you know, are you upset with these people that have accused you? He's like, well, no, I'm sure they have their reasons. Somebody that's been accused oh, of sexually abusing somebody would be like, uh, yeah. heck, you know, not no, but you know, yeah. can't say oh, that on so your yeah. radio. But, you know, so either being too nice to an accusation or getting really aggressive because that fight yeah. or flight. So I watched my older brother and he'd get out of it every single time. You know, my parents would back off and let him go and, mm-hmm. you know, he'd go on his Some merry way. Some create that intensity, don't they, to kind of yeah, blow you back. To blow you back and to scare you. And so then with children, stop. I think particularly with adolescents, that's a really common one. Oh, my heavens. Okay, we're going to take a break. Okay. When we come back, you will have no more tests. Roger. Except uh, we are going... No, I don't have anything. <laughs> I was going to try to make something up. Don't have anything. I'm just trying to be honest with you now. Got you, it. You've made me fly straight. We're talking to Jeremy Stevenson, who's just giving us the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs of interpersonal communication, nonverbal communication, how to read people a little more effectively. 
We'll take a break. We'll be back with more right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM, HD2 Provo. Are there some global issues you wish you could know more about or could get an inside perspective on? Notes from the Kennedy Center presents lectures and seminars from international diplomats and scholars discussing issues and events from all over the world. Become a more informed global citizen and tune into Notes from the Kennedy Center weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Due to Hurricane Sandy, both presidential campaigns are on hold, but they aren't the only government officials trying to avoid the storm. Almost all non-emergency personnel in Washington were given a leave of absence today to stay safe during the onslaught of heavy winds and rain. The Supreme Court convened today and made several decisions about which cases to drop and hear that have already canceled their session tomorrow. The due cases set for tomorrow will now be heard on Thursday. One of the first U.S. rescue efforts connected with the hurricane, some have dubbed the Frankenstorm, took place early this morning about 90 miles off the North Carolina coast. The replica three-mast ship HMS Bounty was taking on water in the path of the storm, and the crew of 16 was forced to abandon ship in 40-mile-per-hour winds and 18-foot seas. The owner of the vessel contacted the Coast Guard after losing communications Sunday night. Coast Guard air and sea efforts located most of the crew via radio beacons in two life rafts. However, two of them are still missing. The ship has reportedly sunk since the rescue. The Commerce Department is reporting that consumer spending rose by 0.8 of a percent last month, which is the largest increase since February. Consumers account for almost three quarters of U.S. economic activity, and the rise is a nice setup as we head into the final financial quarter of the year and the holiday season. With the spending, while the spending increase is good news for the overall economy, the Commerce Department report also showed a slightly troubling drop in U.S. families' savings. The savings rate has dropped to its lowest point in almost a year, and with largely stagnant incomes, this leaves many families with no cushion to deal with pending tax hikes scheduled for the beginning of next year. Not to be outdone by new tablets placed on the market last week by Microsoft and Apple, Google is unveiling their latest Nexus tablet today in time for holiday shoppers. Google is number one in the search engine business, but have been expanding into the hardware market recently so consumers can take advantage of their numerous cloud-based services more easily. Though the tablet market is becoming increasingly competitive between the numerous established brands and ever-increasing newcomers. The new Nexus 10 is priced at $299 and features a 10-inch screen and will be available November 13th. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are here with Jeremy Stevenson. Again, our best wishes, our prayers go out to those of you on the East Coast who are battling this incredible hurricane and the storm. We are here for you. 
Um, again, if you need help, please go listen to the news in your area so you know what to do. As for us, we're just talking nonverbal communication, something you probably, maybe you do need, seriously, while you're there. We brought on Jeremy Stevenson, who's a military intelligence expert. That's all we'll say about that. He has had two tours in Iraq. He knows how to read people. He doesn't claim to be a professional or an expert, but he's read everyone right here, including Madison, who's a thief that stole the pen. <laughs> uh, we, did, we, took, we took poor Jeremy through a test where he had to figure out, and he let me do it, and I went to the wrong person first, which I'm so sorry. And uh, we'll get you some donuts or something. We'll get you some Doritos. That's our big party thing. Doritos. And then I went to Madison, who I should have gone to in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, Jeremy, families, how do we use this information with our family? We don't want to, like, create kids that are crazy. Mm-hmm. We don't want our wife to always think we're watching. So how have you learned to use it with your family, with your kids? How do you kind of walk that line? Reading uh, them but not making it a big what, deal all the time. What, communication patterns. My, my wife, um, she jokes that I'm – I'm the woman in our relationship that I do more of the talking, but uh, she she has to process information. So when we first got married, when she was up, upset, I would find her in the fetal position on the bed, which, yeah. you know, you don't have to be an expert in any way, shape, or form. You, you know, know something's wrong. That's right. And I would ask her, hey, honey, is everything okay? And she would say yes. Well, you know, what she said and her body position didn't match yeah. up. But And in the beginning, I would push it and uh, ask and ask and ask and ask, and it, it, it didn't go well. So... I finally decided to give her space and let her, you know, come back to me. So one, learning how to read your spouse yeah. is one. And then all your kids are different. You know, right. uh, you just mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, one size doesn't fit all when it comes to parenting or communicating with kids. And so learning to read their nonverbal communication and above all, you know, my background's in more of the interrogation, interrogating a criminal or yeah. uh uh, an enemy of war, and or you shouldn't thief. you shouldn't use those or pen thieves in your office. You shouldn't use those techniques on your kids because no. it it can go really negatively. But I found with my kids, um, even though I know they did it, making sure there's a confession that comes before I punish them. Yeah, um, and so that that's a big part because the well, and use the data right. Yeah. Use the data so if you see there's a little bit of a hiccup in the moment. Just use that data to know there's something else and yes. then go gather more data or see if, see if they'll give you more information. I have a, if I have time, a quick yeah, sweet do. roll analogy. Yeah. Well, not analogy, I an example. I love sweet rolls. So uh, came home from school one day, um, pulled off the tin foil off the sweet rolls, and all the frosting had been eaten off the tops. <laughs> uh, was Madison over there? <laughs> <laughs> she was not. Okay. So my oldest son... She barely walked in the door from school, had been gone all day. Um, my other two were three-year-olds and would have had to move a chair over, get yeah. on the chair, eat Too it, much work. cover it back up. So just yeah. doesn't match up. Mm-hmm. So all that's left is my five-year-old. So I know he's the only one that could have done it. Right. And so I ask him. And Did he, he have like glistening, crusted no, sugar? They're getting around. better because, again, they know yeah. if there's no evidence. Smart. So And, again, he looked me straight in the face, and he's <laughs> getting really good. Just dead-eyed, no smile. Yeah. Dad, I didn't do it. So, and my wife's like, that's all you got. So she called me out. So I had to continue. So um, I couldn't. (laughs) So I'm like, I can't, I can't punish him, even though I know he's done it. So later on, I went to him and, you know, OJ wrote a book, like had, if I'd done it, this is how I would have done it. I I took that from OJ and I went to my five-year-old that night. I said, you know, bud, if it wasn't you, it must've been the twins. Like, how do you think they got the chair over there? You are the devil. I know. And he's like, well... I, I helped him with the chair. <laughs> like, 
you, but you said you didn't know anything about it. And so, oh, again, you once you get it. people that crack yeah. that door open a little bit, and I said, and I don't think they would have known to put the cover back on. He's like, oh, well, when they got done, they asked me to help him. And then, then it's just like totally done. nonsense. And then you say, hey, buddy, you know, that makes no sense. Then he just breaks down. And Dad, then I break, and me. I'm sorry, yeah, you know. I, and, but, How about the fact that he had, he was bouncing <laughs> off the walls with so much sugar? Was that, did that ever Well, again, it goes back to that pattern, and he's normally he bouncing off the walls, the so there was no change. That's like Sky. Sky does the exact same thing. Sky, don't pretend like you don't. I'm not denying anything. Okay. Sorry I woke you up. <laughs> um, so, because uh, it really is, I love the quote, who has said it? Um, you cannot not communicate. Yeah. So that's what you're saying. Inside, your body is Wants going to, to it's going to validate the truth. Yeah. One way or another. Or it's either going to want to tell the truth or be so afraid that it's going to get caught. Interesting. That so that's it, what you're looking for. Yeah. And then once you see that indicator... Then you can kind of dig a little bit mm-hmm. more. Or sometimes you can just know and not confront it. I mean, we don't have to confront everything. No. But we just it's just but, good you know, data. I, I know this number two's a liar. Mm-hmm. You then know. you set a trap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, and you mentioned the data thing. My dad would always look at the odometer on the car. And then yeah. we'd come back and he'd say, where'd you go tonight, son? And we'd say, oh, just down to Johnny's. He's like, well, there's 100 miles on the car. Yeah, John, you'd go 100 times. Yeah. And so now we, then we knew after yeah. that, like, if... It was usually a setup whenever he asked us questions like that. Isn't so that, that See, does hurt trust, though. My mom would come home uh, because we were supposed to turn the TV off mm-hmm. like about four. So when she got home at six, she'd always walk in and touch the TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. Yeah. It was because my sister, she couldn't trust them. <laughs> um, I never watched TV. Yeah. Okay. That That's, right. That's why you're on pause? radio. That's why I'm on the radio because yeah. no one can see my face or my lies. Was I didn't lying? say that. Just now? Was that a lie? <laughs> Could you not read that? I winked. <laughs> I gave it a little. I, I, I smiled like, "Hey." Um, okay, tell me this. As we're talking about, uh, let's go like to marriage. Um, it seems like. Uh, do you do you feel like you can read your wife? Because I mean, you're well studied in this. Do you think she can read you just as well? Just kind of naturally. I mean, you're watching certain things, yeah. eye movement, if she's shifting her eyes up or down. You're watching stuff. But do you think she reads you just as well naturally? Um, I think she does. After 10 years of marriage, and I'm a pretty I, – I communicate a lot. Yeah. So part of it she doesn't have to because I just, yeah, <laughs> tell, you just dump. tell her how I, I dump a lot. But, um, but yeah, she um, – I, I, I guess one – bizarre answer to that is I I did have a polygraph once with the military and they spent the first 30 minutes convincing you that the system worked so that you would believe it so that you'd act more nervous if you were lying and in a culture where we're raised to really be afraid of dishonesty and guilt and shame and all that that I think even with my wife she knows I'm I try to be an honest person so I, I can't I don't lie well so either I tell her the truth or I just evade her question and so she's picked up on the evasion yeah so that's where, again, she knows that I'm at least being not totally honest. Mm-hmm. You know, where else do you see the nonverbals um, like enhancing your life? Being able to understand these, seeing them better. So instead of just kind of being the lie detector, yeah. Where else do you see it making a positive difference? Um, as you said earlier, you know, when we, uh, Bryce's little clip, mm-hmm. uh, you know, students come into your classroom. Um, players come onto the field, you know, your kids, you're trying to tell them, hey, you really need to do this. You know, what comes out of your mouth better match up with your body language and how you act. So right. you're going to say, well, we're going to talk about really something really exciting today. Hope you pay attention, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I think it helps a lot. If you understand that, you know, you can make sure that 
the two or the two match up mm-hmm. and and then just you know identifying people that are genuinely into things and again part of that comes back to lie detecting but you know your players that are really dedicated and focused and the kids in your class that really want to participate yeah. or i heard one of our teachers say he's like always look for your kids that sit on the left side of the room near the door because they're protecting and they're hiding themselves. And he goes, all my kids, and there's no scientific evidence beyond this one, but he's like, all my kids that have ever attempted suicide or committed suicide, if I let them sit where they want, they sit on the left-hand side because it's further away from my right hand. It's just a defensive posture and position. And so he's used it to identify kids that need help. And so being able to read that kind of thing and the difference between people mistake introverts for shy, but there's a big difference between, you can have very confident introverts. Right, right. And then you have the very shy extrovert, but they don't speak around you because they're afraid of rejection uh-huh. or other things like that. And so I think as a teacher, that's something I, I do consciously, but just because of my background too, I it's just something that comes naturally. And so being able to relate kids differently and and you know whether that's students, whether that's young men, young women you work with, yeah. whether it's your own children, whether it's kids you coach, it, it makes a big difference. Or reading your own boss and uh, you right. know, employers yeah. and people. I got really frustrated with my military, my soldiers. They were all trained in the same thing I was, but they were horrible, horrible, <laughs> like winning friends and influencing people or even just straight up manipulating. And they couldn't do it. They <laughs> like, like, hey, if, I know you hate that guy, but if you just acted like you liked him. Life would be better for yeah, you. Yeah, it would be a little easier. And the, but I don't know how to do that. Like, don't what make me do that. <laughs> exactly. And it's so it's powerful. Just though. every aspect of your Which life. Which is probably one reason why you are such a successful teacher, too. Is I mean, it seems like a lot of this is intuitive enough yeah. that if you just are present watching, mm-hmm. there's a ton of data there that we're missing. Yeah. So I guess the big rule is just tune in. Yeah. And. If it doesn't seem right, it's probably not right. Exactly. And I guess don't lead with calling him a liar, <laughs> like I did. Yeah, that can, that can that puts them on the defensive, Sorry. and so it it, yeah. it makes it difficult mm-hmm. to get that initial baseline. Yeah, I call them cheaters, not liars. Um, no, that's wrong too. <laughs> but you just shouldn't because the minute you make a judgment about it, it's yeah. just data. Like I've just I just noticed that that I asked you this question. Like, I, I noticed that the chair thing didn't line yeah. up with the kids, so how do you think it got over there? Then you inquire, and then they'll yeah. give you more data. Yeah. That's what I love about people. Well, and you mentioned earlier just whether you label people verbally or uh, stereotypes cause a big problem oh, with this one. of They've done a lot of studies where just showing attractive and unattractive people right. by our social standards, yeah. and they don't know anything about them, and they say, okay, who do you think committed this crime? And people pick the less attractive person yes. because that's you know their, well, yeah, their good-looking idea. Pretty people, people don't, don't do, do those. Right. Yeah. I geez, totally disagree. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Okay, Jeremy, we're going to wrap it up, but give okay. me one more rule. What's the one thing when it comes to reading somebody, the one thing that makes – that's the big thing, the one thing that makes the biggest difference? What is their baseline and how do they change the way they talk or their body language in reference to a specific question? So it's got to be specific. So as you're talking to them and you hit that one question and they start to squirm or they look away or they get, you know, their answer changes. That's the main thing is if you know what their normal behavior is and it doesn't mean they're lying about that thing, but they're trying to hide something. They're being deceptive. That's the word they use is not dishonest, but deceptive that. They're afraid of sharing something. Maybe they didn't do anything wrong, but they're afraid. I love that. You know, and, and they might spill the beans on somebody else. I, I love the baseline idea, too, because we've got to know each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you don't know each other, you're not going to be able to read them as well. Yep. So you need the baseline. Okay, Jeremy Stevenson, uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, my pleasure. Is there a Thanks way they can me. reach you if you have a, just an easy email or something? 
Um, or just, you know, maybe just they could go through us, too. Yeah, but, I mean, the TimView the website has my email address, jeremys at provo.edu. Yeah, that's your that's your high school uh, email address. What a guy! So it'll filter all those, you know, any yeah. weird ones coming in. That's good. Good luck with that because you can read spam them anyway. email. I won't have to receive those. That's good, Jeremy Stevenson. Uh, so appreciate you being here and all of your insight. Seriously, very very helpful to all of us. And um, what uh, what we're gonna do now is I want to go and we're, we're gonna take this nonverbal communication a little bit different direction. Okay, so we're in a season of very refined verbal communication. But it doesn't hold a candle to the massively universal nonverbal ritual that we all engage in at least twice a day on the road. We are in a political season, a big election just about a week away, and some of the world's most talented communicators are on the payroll. Candidates hire them because they want to be elected or reelected. And these professional communicators write their speeches. They conduct focus groups. Because we live in a world where one poorly chosen noun or verb could cost you your job. Read my lips. An ironclad logbox. Well, I'm not a crook. The last 100 plus years or so, we truly live in a golden age of written and verbal communication. But as we flip through the pages of history... It wasn't always like this. Through most of humankind's existence, we settled our disputes with swords. Ouch! If we go far enough back in our genetic past, with rocks. There's nothing like a 50-pound stone to express one's dissatisfaction with an idea. Today I hear there's something like 100,000-plus words in the English language. But like a child's Christmas toy in May, sometimes we humans get a little bored with what we have. And every day, millions of Americans throw away their vast library of communication, save for maybe four or five embarrassing words, and return to the caveman days. Where do we do this? I'll tell you. It's when we get behind the wheel of our cars. Now, I admit it's a little bit different. Instead of throwing around rocks, we swerve around a 7,500-pound SUV into motorcyclists, pedestrians, other cars, anybody really who gets in our way. But the idea is basically the same. So what do we say with our nonverbal vehicular communication? Well, I guess it depends what mood we're in. It could be a friendly tap on the high beams and a wave to say, Oh, no, you, please, go ahead, go ahead. Or an understanding nod to let the other guy at the stop sign know it's his turn to go. And once in a while, we might indulge in a quick meep-meep to the guy sitting under a green light. You know, polite. Oh, come on, the light's green. Or swerving around a slow driver to tell them, I'm not happy you're holding me up. Or speeding away on a fresh green light to say, yo, buddy, I'm in a hurry. But what about those rare times when we need to make some noise to get somebody's attention? Well, we find our options limit very quickly. Bad lane change. Somebody running a red light. Pedestrian in the road. Somebody talking on their cell phone. There's an alien spaceship two blocks away, and it's blasting everything in sight. We need to drive away from it as fast as we can. Hey, look, it's Matt. Welcome back, everybody. Hi, Matt. Beep? That's really the only vocal communication I get behind the wheel? Well, that's a little confusing. So now here's the part where normally I'd offer some kind of modest proposal, like, I don't know, like suggesting we mandate all new cars be convertible so that way we can return to the era of communicating our demands verbally. 
which on the surface sounds great because at the red light, you just turn to the other car and say, Hey, buddy, I need to get over to the left lane. Do you mind when the light goes green if I cut in front of you? Oh, cool. All right, thanks, man. It seems like such a nice option compared with beep, honk. But the more I think about it, I just don't think that convertible idea will work. Even though putting the talk back into travel seems like a good idea, all the time we see on the news that when we put verbal back in nonverbal vehicular communication, it almost always turns out bad. The conversation usually starts while you're driving, and if that conversation continues at the next red light, it usually involves somebody being dragged out of their car and being punched. Ouch! That's kind of a step in the wrong direction. Well done, Rob Sanders, who loves cars, and that's his number one communication form. Um, we're going to take a break. Come back. We're going to talk more about nonverbals. We're even going to get into a little bit of sports and nonverbal communication. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Repurposed car parts are helping save newborns in developing countries. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Every year, more than a million at-risk newborns in developing countries die, in part from the lack of a warm, clean environment in which to grow stronger. The expense of neonatal incubators makes the life-saving equipment rare in many third-world countries. Even donated incubators tend to fall out of use quickly in rural areas due to maintenance costs and the lack of qualified repair technicians. A team of industrial designers, doctors, and rural health experts at nonprofit Design That Matters is taking a creative approach to solving this problem. They've designed incubators that are made from something that is readily available, even in remote areas used automobile parts. The NeoNurture incubators use common car headlights for heat, dashboard fans to supply air circulation, even door chimes have been repurposed as alarms to warn of potential heating system problems. Since the unorthodox incubator parts can be found locally, repairs can be made on site. Ideally, local mechanics that are already familiar with the car components can be easily trained to make repairs to the incubators. A good mechanic very well could be a lifesaver. For Innovation Now, this is Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU All-American quarterback Robbie Bosco. We were playing at the University of Pittsburgh. It was my first collegiate football game, and I was so nervous. I wasn't even sure if I should be the quarterback or not. My first three passes were incomplete. The first pass I threw was about 20 feet over the receiver's head. I couldn't believe I threw it like that. And then my next two passes were just, weren't even close to being completed. As I was walking off the field, Coach Edwards was walking towards me and I thought, oh boy, this is the end. He's gonna yank me and he's gonna tell me that they're gonna let another guy come in and see what he can do. But he came over, put his hands on my shoulder, told me to relax, told me that I was their guy and not to worry about anything else, just go out there and play. Having him believe in me changed my life. Chances are the relationships that changed your life started at BYU. Share your story at alumni.byu.edu slash update. Remember when, remember why. BYU alumni connected for good. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking nonverbal communication, and, uh, you know, we've talked about how to read people a little bit better. But with uh, with so much communi- nonverbal communication going on, our producer, Madison, the one, the one who stole my pen, is going to talk about the bad and the ugly. Don't know why she's doing it. But can most ne- can, can the most common form of negative nonverbal communication be beneficial or even useful? Intimidation. Personally, when I hear this word, I think of the scene from Little Giants, where the little guy puts an Alka-Seltzer into his mouth and starts to froth like a rabid dog. But intimidation surrounds us in our daily lives. Sometimes it can be unintentional or it can be intentional. It can be someone trying to intimidate you with their passive-aggressive movements and comments, or your kid is getting picked on by the big guy at school. However, can intimidation be a good thing? I can think of two examples. The first is if you are a boss. For all occupations, you need to be an authority figure and to have your employees respect. Now, I'm not saying that if you do, that you should invade the other person's personal space and get all up in that grill, but simply monitoring what you say can be enough. The employees will be wondering what you're thinking and will be motivated by fear. As long as the job gets done, it's not a bad thing, right? Now, on a more serious note, intimidation actually does help a lot in sports. A huge part of physical performance is actually your mental state. Think about it. If you're a little kid back in grade school and you're just a little kid playing basketball, and then all of a sudden Jimmy, the massive sixth grader who reached his full height of 6'8 and 200 pounds by the time that he was 12, steps out onto the court. Regardless of the physical advantages he has over you, you will not be shooting to the best of your ability because you're simply thrown off your groove since you are intimidated. I can think of quite a few examples from playing water polo in high school and college that lends to this credibility. In high school last year, there was a freshman. In high school, there was a freshman who played goalie for a team out of Magna. He was not any ordinary freshman, though. He was about six six, and his arms seemed to stretch on for miles. Since he was young, he had not really learned how to take full advantage of his arms yet, so it was possible to make goals on him. But the boys' team was so intimidated. It seems like they threw to him every dang time. In their minds, he grew to expand the cage and they just couldn't see way past him, so they just threw right to him. Also, something that was intimidating was a person's aggressiveness. If your opponent goes right to you right from the start, locks your shoulders with yours, and you don't even have the ball, some girls would simply just give up hope and kind of flounder because obviously this other girl has so much energy and strength. Their spirit would be gone for the rest of the game. Also, something that intimidated others is what they wore. In water polo, this one girl wore a huge black mouth guard. The whole team was kind of taken aback because usually they're not used until you get to the college or Olympic level because there's generally not even a need. But the number one rule of water polo is that if you play dirty, then your opponent will too. So if you see that she is a mouth guard, you know that she is a dirty or aggressive player. Seeing that one thing alone, our team was intimidated by that player. In swimming, it's a relatively same thing. If you saw your competitor wearing a high-tech racing suit, you knew that they spent the big bucks on that, and they would not have spent that much if they were not really good and that like half or quarter second faster would actually make a difference. Intimidation plays a huge part in nonverbal communication and often comes because one person judges another and makes a quick decision on if they are a threat. But as I mentioned with the job example earlier, is it okay to be intimidating? It helps in sports, possibly in the workplace, but my idea is 
Is it worth it? Can it be a good thing? I'll let you be the judge of that. We will all be the judge of that, Madison Marie. Madison Marie. My middle Alfredo. name's My name's May. Middle name's May. I know. I'm just making up <laughs> middle names. Um, okay, so a uh, little roundtable here. Better to be uh, in, you, better to use intimidation. Is that the way we do it? Yeah, better to be feared or loved. Bryce, feared. Way more fun. Way more useful. <laughs> <laughs> kind of dark, but real. Yes, Skyboy. I think it depends. Oh, boy. <laughs> Holy cow. Welcome to politics. No, that's true. Very good. That's exactly what I would have said. Well, I love because the truth is you can't make anybody do what you want them to do. And feared, they're still not going to do what you want them to do anyway. And they hate you. So if, you, if you're loved, at least you can go to lunch and you know, have maybe a good time. Pay. And, you know, and maybe there's an off chance that they'd respect you. I don't know. Nothing okay. I can do about Even it. Even though I just did that bit, I think that it'd be better to be loved because then people will do things for you. Mm. How about respected? Isn't it more important to be respected than loved or feared? It's true. That's kind of like a middle ground where it's like it's like it's like Skyboy saying, "I don't know." Love, but with an answer. Mix. (laughs) I always have answers. Here's the rule: How I choose to uh, influence you today will impact how I'll have to influence you tomorrow. So if I use fear today. Do I just have to use more fear tomorrow? No, you keep switching every day to really play with their heads. Yeah, so remember up. when you accused me of being a thief? But you were. You are a thief. I remember when you accused the intern of being a thief. I have a name. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> just the intern. The intern thief that was not really a thief. Uh, what is your name? Oh, Tyler, for those of you that can't that. hear, he, yeah, Tyler. He said Chucky. <laughs> But that's not his real name. It's Tyler. Dave. (laughs) Dave, you liar. Okay, well, that's the show, folks. Uh, Tyler, our intern, sends his love. And from all of us here at the Matt Townsend Show to all of you on the East Coast battling this storm, we love you. We're watching out for you. Really, we're praying for you, and uh, we hope it all goes well. We'll be back tomorrow with more right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.